0: All right, yeah, I hope you got your, your snacks and your, your goodies and all that good stuff and they'll, they'll turn the music down. And man, thank you guys so much for being here. It's really encouraging to see so many of you. And I, I'm excited just to go through this together and to see what, what the Lord does. And so before, uh, before we pray and before we dive into looking at uh, New Testament, biblical, uh, convictional, loving, kind, and very clear evangelism, Uh, I said there would be some book giveaways, and so we'll definitely do that. I want to get that out of the way. Um, So we have some good books that we're going to give away. I think one of the most important, so if you're like taking notes, like what book should I read? I think this is one of the most important books you could read on evangelism. It's J.I. Packer's Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. Um, It's there is no fluff. There's no like, let me tell you a long extended story about something. I mean, he, he's going like right into the heart of evangelism and how our reformed view of salvation and how these really are not in, in, enemies with each other when it comes to evangelism and the sovereignty of God. And so um, who has not read this? Okay, Andrea, you're the first person that I saw. You can have that. Okay. And then so, and also this, this is a great book called, uh, oh, (laughs) this is a great book by Greg Gilbert called Who is Jesus? Um, I just, I actually just reviewed this for the Gospel Coalition on their website. I think this book, if you're familiar with More Than a Carpenter, it's a very evangelistic tool, like millions of copies sold. I think this could be a new generation, a new era, uh, More Than a Carpenter. It's just called Who is Jesus? And this is the heart of evangelism. And so it's very helpful. This is written for the skeptic, this is written for the unbeliever, someone who's wondering about Christianity. And so this is the kind of book that you could give to a neighbor, you could give to a family member, that you could sit down and read this together and learn who is, uh, who is Jesus. And I love that even in the title, you're learning a lot about Jesus already. It's not who was Jesus, but who is, who is Jesus. So there's a lot that goes on in this book. And so Ian McGee, you and this, you guys were the first to sign up. So you get the double package, who is Jesus, evangelism, and the sovereignty of God, and then up next, Jonathan Powers. Do you have Mere Christianity, Austin? Yeah. You have it? Bummer. Okay, you don't get it. Do you have Evangelism the Sovereignty of God? Yeah, uh, yes. Oh, man, dude. Okay. Do you have Reason for God by Tim Keller? No. Say no. Say no. Say no. No, you don't have it. You don't have it. Perfect. Okay, yeah. Yeah, get, if, if you have it, give it to someone else. You got it. The, the book lover in the bunch already gets it. Okay, next up, Carrie, Carrie White, I saw you. Yes, Evangelism, the Sovereignty of God. Thank you. I need a report by the end of the week for all of these, for all of these books. All right, next one. I love this little book. It's Jesus or Nothing by Dan DeWitt, and he's the dean of Boyce College, which is the undergraduate arm of Southern Seminary. And so if you're familiar with Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, which I would totally recommend you read, it's super, super helpful. There's a snippet in Mere Christianity, which you may be familiar with, where Lewis talks about that Jesus, and I'll mention this more tonight, where he, when we talk about who Jesus is and what he has said, he's either Lord, he really is who he says he is, or he's a liar, he knows he's not the Lord and he's just saying it, or he's a lunatic. He really thinks he is the Lord, but he's not. That these are the only ways we can think about Christ, and so what Dan does is he kind of takes that and expands it even more and talks about it. Really, it's either Jesus or it's just nothing. It doesn't matter at all. He should, he should totally be stamped and forgotten from history. And so that goes to Andy Lingenfelter. I saw you, Andy. Where are you? Okay, I'm gonna throw it. No, I'm not gonna throw it. Yeah, it's, I saw Richard's face like, oh no, don't, don't throw it. All right, next one up, Mirror Christianity, C.S. Lewis just talked about it. And so the winner for that one is Adam Stakovic. Do you have this? No. No, awesome, dude. Okay. And if, if you do listen to our second podcast, the Making Much of Jesus podcast, it's very conversational. Adam is the one that enters that and he asked me all the questions. So if you have any like crazy questions you want me to answer. Just totally, you can send them to, to Adam or, or I, and we'll, we'll deal with them as best we can. And the last one, this is David Platt's brand new book. David Platt is the author of Radical, uh, Radical Together, super popular book, very helpful. And now he has, he's no longer the pastor of Brook Hills Church in Alabama. He just became the president of the International Mission Board for the Southern Baptist Convention. I think a landmark move uh, in, I think, church history that we'll look back on and go, that that guy, the radical guy, became the president of a missions organization. And he has a new book out called Counter Culture. In a world, how to have a compassionate plea to the world in a world filled with poverty, same-sex marriage, racism, sex slavery, immigration, persecution, abortion, orphans, and pornography. And so this is his new book. I have not read it yet, but I totally trust Platt. Um, I'm sure it is an incredible book. And the winner of this book is, dun, 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 dun. there it is, Jim Wilkie. You got it. There you go. Same for you. Report by Wednesday. Book report, please. Yeah, anything. Any Wednesday is fine. Yeah. 2017. That third Wednesday of 2017, please. I would like that. Well, let's open up our Bibles, please, to Matthew 28. I know that you know this passage it's the Great Commission. And one of the dangers of knowing our Bibles well is that we think we know them very well. <laughs> and that we can grow apathetic towards passages that we already know. And I know that we all do that on some level. Because when we read a book and we see a verse in that book that we already know and you skip it, like, oh, yeah, I already know that passage. That's a problem for us. We need to not do that. Uh, that's the most powerful section in the whole book when God's Word is included in, into a book. So here we have the beginning for tonight and to start with what our Lord tells us in Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18. Here's the great commission. And Jesus came and said to them, and this is like the Lord Jesus is saying this to us right now. All authority and on heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so since that's true, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Why don't we pray before we we dive into trying to understand this more and more? Uh, Lord, right now, I'm so encouraged that we're here would you help us to become the evangelistic people that we want to be, that we would do the work of an evangelist? Lord, you did great things with 12 men. And so we have more than 12 here, and we're asking if you would do great things now in Tomball and in Houston and greater Houston with your weak and non-impressive servants that are in this room. Would you manifest yourself among our lives and in our mouths and our words that we would proclaim the fame of your name in risky ways and bold ways? Help us, Lord. And it's in your awesome name that we pray. Amen. What we have in Matthew 28 is the Great Commission. And what we see is the very beginning, the way Jesus speaks after he has died and he has, he has risen again from the dead, he tells them all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So there is, no, there is no place in the universe where Jesus does not have authority. And he speaks over all things. So no matter what Jesus says next, we're to do it. And so that resolve is verse 19. So go, therefore, there, the, therefore. So now go, do something. Since I have all authority, go, and make disciples. And that is the beginning of evangelism, the beginning point of that. Make disciples. We have to evangelize. Great Commission. Now flip over to Acts 1.8. I know you know this one. I I hope you do, and we need to see it again. There are really kind of different ways to look at the exact same thing. Luke kind of shows us how the Great Commission in the beginning of Acts one are really tying in together. You can lay over the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke and the first chapter of Acts, and they're almost uh, kind of like trace paper. You can see how they're connecting. And Look what Jesus says in Acts 1, beginning in verse 6. The disciples ask him, so Jesus is risen from the dead. Great things are happening. He spent 40 days teaching them, and now Luke writes. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom to Israel? And so they're asking a very theological question. They're wanting to figure out more of Old Testament history, and Jesus wants to redirect them away from that. And he says, verse 7, he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He's basically saying, let's not argue about end times right now. Let's not have a side theological debate. Uh, let me tell you exactly what you are here for and what you're going to do. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So when the Holy Spirit comes in power, has come upon them, the... Connecting result. What will invariably happen is that you will be my witnesses. There's a lot you could think on, meditate on, just that you will be. You definitely will be. There, there's no avoiding it. There's no other way around it. There's no opt out. Like, do, do I have to evangelize? No, you will. Your action. You will be my witnesses. And really, he's giving them more. He's not just telling them you're going to witness. He's giving them a new identity. You will witness. You will be my witnesses. That's our identity. So what does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be a witness of Jesus Christ. So really, even before we can talk about what it means to evangelize, what evangelism is, what evangelism isn't, uh, we need to all settle together. Okay, who am I? You are a witness, and I am a witness. In Christ now, if you've been saved, we have all, every Christian that is a part of a local church, and that's you guys in the room, you are on the missions team. You are on the EE team, whether you realize it or not. If you don't know what EE is, old Southern Baptist thing, evangelism explosion. You're you're on the team. We're all on it. Some of us are just being faithful and some of us are not. And so what this is, is Jesus is calling us saying, I'm giving you Holy Spirit wrought power. Yes, we think of the Holy Spirit. He does cause people to be born again. The Spirit does help us understand the Bible. The Spirit does comfort us. The Spirit does lead us. And Jesus is reminding us, the Spirit is giving... given to you for power for evangelism. So identity number one, you are a witness. You're a witness. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter five, please. We will be flipping around a lot, so total Bible drill time. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul is going through a great explanation again with the Corinthians about who they are, what they are not to do, and he wants to lay out for them the great call of the gospel. And now look at 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to look at this a lot throughout the night, so you can put a piece of paper there or whatever. We're going to be, we're going to be flipping in this passage a lot. But look at verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. You are a witness and you are an ambassador for Christ. So you, that means an ambassador. We know an ambassadors, they don't go on their own authority. They are a delegate for another country. They're an ambassador for another country and they're bringing news. They're, they're working together for another countries. They're bringing messages, whatever. They're sent on the authority of someone else to represent someone else. And so you and I are sent on behalf of Christ, for Christ, in the power of Christ, with the news of Christ. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And what does that mean? Next phrase, God making his appeal through us. So when you really believe that, then when you're talking to your coworker, you're not just kind of telling them some rehearsed ancient facts. The living God, Yahweh himself, is making his appeal through us. I love the, the next phrase. We implore you. So our evangelism should have that note to it. We implore you. Like you hear some people, I'm not going to beg people to come to Christ. You totally should. You should repent and you should, I want to implore you to believe. I implore you and look on behalf of what? On behalf of Christ. So we're going as ambassadors for Christ. We're going in the name of Christ and we're doing this on behalf of Christ. It's almost as though, I love what Jesus says in Luke. The one who hears you, hears me. So when we faithfully speak and we faithfully bring out God's word and we're faithfully speaking the gospel, they're not just hearing us. They are hearing the living Christ himself. And Paul totally believes this. I think this is why Paul speaks with such boldness with everything he does. Because he totally believes that when I speak to people, Christ is speaking to them and I'm just here on his behalf. And what's the whole message? Be reconciled to God. God has made a way for you and I to be reconciled to him. We are ambassadors, we are witnesses. And verse 21, there's the nuclear bomb of the gospel. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Then look at verse 6-1. Working together with him. What a beautiful, when you evangelize, you are not on your own. Working together with him. And this ties into the great commission. I am with you always till the end of the age. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. And look at these things with great endurance and afflictions and hardships. See, these are the pains that he's willing to go through to evangelize them. And hardships and calamities and beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, labors, sleepless nights, hunger by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. I think that's one of the biggest problems in our evangelism. It doesn't come off as genuine, but very sacrificial. Genuine love by truthful speech. And the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors, and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful and yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. There's a lot happening here that we don't have time to get into with that church. They see how Paul's saying, us apostles, we are ambassadors of reconciliation, and now you are becoming ambassadors of reconciliation. If you will widen your heart and be ready for all of these things, dishonor, slander, praise, your identity, those things will happen to you if you are living your identity as a witness. You will be slandered. You will be dishonored. You will be made fun of. You will be seen as weird. You will lose friends. You will lose relationships. Th- these things will happen. This is why when people want to come up to Jesus and they're like, hey, we, I want to follow you. He says, great. Well, come on. Well, I need to go handle some things at home. He says, well, forget it. You gotta count the cost and, and follow me. This is so being an evangelist is a part of the cost of following Christ. Your identity is a witness and ambassador. Now, from these verses, what's your confidence in evangelism? Your confidence in evangelism is not even in how many verses you know. It's not even in how well you can articulate Buddhism. It's not in how well you can articulate um, Scientology, which they can't even articulate very well. It's Jesus' authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus' authority is your biggest confidence. Jesus' presence through the Holy Spirit. I'm with you always. Him making his appeal through us. God actively working in your speaking. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16 and 26. The, The helper will come. The Holy Spirit is our helper. I think when, as soon as we take that step, when you're in that conversation and you, you can kind of see there, I can see kind of a window opening where I could launch in and I know I could talk about Jesus right there. A lot of times we feel that moment and we don't do anything with it because we're not walking in faith. As soon as you feel that moment and you jump into it and you say, you know what the Bible says? You know what Jesus did? Let me you are walking in the faith of future grace. That you don't, these are uncharted waters, but you're trusting that the helper will come. That the Holy Spirit will help you. Turn to Luke chapter 12, verse 11. There's another passage similar to this towards the end of the gospel of Luke, but I I really like this one as Jesus is speaking to them and telling them, "As as you follow me, the heat will get turned on. Things are going to happen to you. You will be called out. You will be challenged. And Luke 12, starting in verse 11, he says, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. So don't worry. Don't don't not evangelize because you don't know all the answers. You will never know all the answers. You you won't know the ins and outs of every single religion. You won't be able to, you know, play like connect four with like a conversation. It's just not gonna happen. But you don't have to be anxious, you don't defend yourself, you don't worry about what you're gonna say why. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Then as soon as you believe that verse, you will walk in total freedom in your evangelism. Because you remember it doesn't ride on you. It's not our job to close the sail evangelism is not producing converts. Evangelism is just telling people the gospel inviting them to believe. The confidence is that you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus' authority, Jesus' presence, God making his appeal through us, we're empowered by the spirit and the power of the cross. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of God. Why? For it is the power of God. So when you just tell people the raw gospel, the beautiful ancient gospel, you are bringing in supernatural divine power. To us, when we are lukewarm in our faith, it just seems like verses on a page. But when we are walking in the spirit, we are bringing cosmic power to the conversation. That there is a risen Nazarene. So the power of the cross is our confidence. The Bible's our confidence. Isaiah 55, For as this is Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sober and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to be empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word will never fail. The spirit moves with the Bible. I remember one time evangelizing a girl at, at work um, when I was working at Starbucks at the time and she came over for dinner, so we were having this great conversation. And I texted Nali, and was like, "Hey, I think we should bring her over for dinner." She said, "Oh yeah, totally. Have her to come over for dinner." Like, "Hey, great. We made spaghetti, and I hate spaghetti, but you know, we're having spaghetti. Um, you become a spaghetti eater with spaghetti eaters. You become all things, all people. You know, I'll talk about that later. You let preferences go, and she likes spaghetti. Great, let's eat spaghetti. And we're talking, and I, I'm, I know we're evangelizing. We're we're getting there, and I'm just really feeling the sense that we need. We should open the Bible." Like God, none of the words that are coming out of my mouth have divine power behind them, but this does. This is filled with divine power. So I go and get three Bibles, and this girl was a Buddhist, so she doesn't have a Bible. She doesn't know the Bible. One of the things that's very helpful in our evangelism is when we can get out of our Christian ghetto and realize that people probably don't know the terminology. So you can't evangelize somebody, hand them a Bible. Okay, turn to Ephesians chapter two. What do you, and like, let me hand you a Quran and say, turn to whatever, whatever, whatever. Be like, what are you talking about? I mean, this girl had no frame of reference, none of it. I said, okay, I opened the Bible for, to Ephesians chapter two. I said, okay, you see Ephesians two, the big two. I'm going to start reading there, okay, and just follow along with me, okay? Same translation. So make sure you have the same translation. Really freak them out. It's like, why is this different? <laughs> so same translation, and we're just reading, and we're just reading Ephesians two one to four, and I'm stopping a little and say, hey, let me tell you what children of wrath means. Let me tell you what the prince of the power of the air is. That's Satan. Um, so we explain who Satan is. It's like, you have to do these kinds of things. And then we're walking through, and then all of a sudden she starts laughing when we get to verse eight. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And like, and she's smiling. Like, what? Why are you smiling? Why are you laughing? She's like, if that's true, I just became a Christian. She said, Buddha didn't do anything like that for me. I thought, <laughs> I didn't do anything. We just read the Bible. I remember I had another lady in my office and she was telling me, I'll never become a Christian, ever. You Christians, you forgive people. I will never forgive this person, ever. And I just told her, I was like, hey, you know what? You are, let me read this passage and I read it. I said, so you have Ephesians, and I drew this all on a piece of paper in my office. You have Ephesians 2, one to three. And this is, you're dead in your sins. You're going to hell. Satan rules your life. I mean, this is the raw nature of the gospel. And I drew a line down the middle and I said, and this is verses four to 10, but God steps in and he gives great mercy. And it's by grace you have been saved through faith, not of your own doing, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And now you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. I said, so what's happening, lady, is that you are on this side. You're still dead in your sins and you're still going to hell. So you're you're trying to think of the way Christians live and this feels insane to you. Of course it does because you're still dead in your sins. So this makes no sense to you. But as soon as you do cross this line, as soon as but God happens to you and you believe, this will make total sense to you and you will walk in faith. You will forgive. Simple, just a line down the page. And she told me recently, she said, "If it was that stupid line down the page that made me believe in Jesus. (laughs) Hallelujah for that line. You know, I didn't try to, like, cheese it up either. <laughs> and there's a cross. <laughs> like, you know, just, you don't have to be cheesy. Just give people the gospel. The Bibles are our confidence. Okay, now turn back to 2 Corinthians 5. And we're going to spend a little bit of time kind of marching through this. And I, I do want to do questions. So as you, as you have them, just write them down or, you know, raise your hand or, or something that happens uh, just let me know. I, I don't want to miss your questions. I want to do a lot of them at the end because I know, they'll, they'll, I'm sure there will be a lot. I want to talk about some of our hindrances in evangelism, wh- why we're not. Okay, let's, look at, let's start in 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 11. My Bible, ESV, has a little header there. It's the, kind of a summary statement from the publishers. The ministry of reconciliation, that's what we're talking about tonight, this is evangelism. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, what do we do? we persuade others. That word is going to be used a ton throughout the Bible. You can go to Bible Gateway or Bible software and just type in persuade in the New Testament and see all the verses about persuading. This is what evangelism is. It is persuading. It's not just a monologue. It will be a dialogue. It will be persuading people to believe and and dealing with their tensions and their unbelief. So why aren't we persuading others? Because we're not really knowing the fear of the Lord. We're not really walking in a way that's honoring the Lord. We're not honoring him. We're not living in fear of dishonoring him. We're not living for his glory. So of course, we're not persuading others because we don't feel the, the eternal weight that is upon us and that is upon them. Like really what's coming for them. Look at what happens next. But what we are is known to God and I hope it is also known to your conscience. We are not committing ourselves to you Again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and, and those themselves. Verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. And I love verse 14, here it is. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this. The gospel motivates us. That one has died for all, and for all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So what compels us from that part we just read? The love of Christ. If we're not compelled, it's because we don't know the love of Jesus. The more that you know the love of Jesus, you'll be compelled to tell others. I think one of the, the chief antidote for our evangelism-less Christianity is awe. I, I totally believe that. The, the reason why the early church didn't have to have evangelism seminars It's because they saw the resurrection with their own eyes. They didn't have to go. Now, do we really need to get together and talk? I mean, they, they were just going. They couldn't help it. And so the more that we are in awe of Christ and the awe of his love for us and that we have concluded that he has died for all and how did he die, verse 15, that we might no longer live for themselves but for him. So we're calling people to live for him who for their sake died and was raised, that Jesus is alive. And now look at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. We, that, we just don't look at people in human terms. But we look at people in supernatural terms, that they're a soul. There's something about them. Like, look at what he says next. We used to regard Christ according to the flesh. Just as a normal guy. Just insignificant, nothing. Very, we just looked, looked at things in worldly ways. But we regard him thus no longer. So we still regard people according to the flesh, temporally, like there's no eternal nature about them. We don't know our identity, that we are really ambassadors. Verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So we know that. I want salvation, I've been reconciled to God. If you want part A, part B comes with it and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation. If you want to be saved, you also get the ministry of reconciliation. You take on being a steward of that message. And look at what he says next. And that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We have been entrusted with a great and weighty task. And once you compile all this together and God really is making his appeal through you, you really must believe that when you speak to someone you are there under the sovereign rule of King Jesus. You are there not on your own authority. You're not there on your church's authority. You, there, you are there on the king of the universe's authority. When Lawson and I were in, in Louisville uh, for a class, we're with this cab driver, Abdul, and as we're driving, we go past the conference center, and he says, so what are you guys in town for? And we're there for a conference about the gospel. And so I'm like, yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm here, I'm a, pe- we're, you know, I'm a pastor, and we work down at, at a church in Houston, and this is a conference talking about Jesus, about the gospel. And he goes, oh, really? He's like, oh, so you think Allah is prophet too? And so, I mean, we're already in like super deep waters. And you have to answer that question. And to be faithful to the Bible, you have to say, heck no. Because only true prophets testify to the Messiah, to Christ. So, no, he, I, I don't believe he's a prophet. He's like, you don't? Why not? And he's our cab driver, and he's, like, turning around, like, <laughs> looking at us. And I said, because the Christian belief is the only true prophets they're going to testify that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. And Allah does not do that. So I do not believe that Allah is a prophet. He's like, huh, okay. I said, well, what do you think about Jesus. And so when you get in conversations with people and it's not just, let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you, you're having conversation. What they ask you, you ask them back. Okay, so what do you think about Jesus? I think Jesus is a good guy. I, you know, yeah, the, the classic stuff. He's a good person, good teacher. Um, I don't think he rose again from the dead, obviously, or he'd be a Christian. I mean, so like we're talking about these things and eventually we're talking more and I just told him, I said, Abdul, and I think it's helpful to ask people's names because these are people made in the image of God. These are human beings that we're still talking to. And so have the common courtesy to, hey, what, what's, what's your name? Abdul. Okay, I'm Jeff. And like, you're, you're getting rid of all the weirdness, and we're just having a conversation. And I said, you know, I, I think that Jesus himself sent me here for this moment, for me to tell you how you could be saved from all of your sins. And I mean, his eyes almost bugged out of his head. And he turned around, he was like, are you serious? I'm dead serious. And he's inviting you to believe and be saved. And he said, I wish, I wish uh, Muhammad would carry my sins away. Jesus will do that for you. If you will look to him and believe, it's yours. And he dropped us off at the coffee shop and he gave us his card. He's like, I'm going to call you. I'm calling you again. And you're going to pick us up and we're going to talk more about Jesus. Sounds good, man. Sounds good. We call him. He comes, we, as soon as we get in the cab, I said, Abdul, are you a Christian yet? <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying. I was like, you could do it. You could do it now. You, you could believe in him. Jesus will receive you. He has never turned anyone away. He, he's ready. Are you ready? And he said, and he said I think so. I, I, I think I'm, I'm ready. And so I said, okay, great. Now, you have to leave Islam behind. Oh, no. I can't, I can't do that. Well, you, then you can't have Jesus. Like this is, so when we talk more about calling for a response, and we're going to talk more about this later, we have to tell people also there is a weighty nature to the gospel. That there is the, you must be willing to count. So that was, Abdul, you have to count the cost also. Will you leave it all behind? That which is dishonoring to Christ and come and follow him. And he was not. When we don't live in the fear of the Lord, when we aren't compelled by the love of Jesus, when we still regard people according to the flesh, like that example would be, he's just a cab driver, Whatever. Just take me to my place. That's regarding people according to the flesh. We don't know our identity, who we really are. We don't grasp the wonder of the gospel. And we don't really believe that we're there under the authority of King Jesus. I mean, you can use that every time. I say that every time now I evangelize somebody. Just guy at a coffee shop. Brad, I totally believe that Jesus sent me here for this moment because he wants you to hear how you can be saved. Because it's true. It's not some gimmick, It's true. And Jesus wants them to be saved. He desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So we tell them that. So now, what does the world think of evangelism? Watch this video, Chris. It's uh, Jimmy Fallon and Steve Carell. What what do they think about evangelism?
1: That's awesome, man. Uh, uh, Mine was weird out. Uh, yeah, good. One. I just saw him. Did you really? I just saw him. He appeared um Simpsons at the Hollywood Bowl and Weird Al was there. I'd never seen him live. Oh it's unbelievable. It was great. It's a great concert. It was yeah, great. it's great. Uh, you do you take your kids to what were their first concerts? Are they um, old enough to? Actually, my son, that was his first. We we had to uh, each my wife took my daughter to one direction and on the same night. <laughs> Clearly, they have never heard of One Direction. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so I took my son to uh, the Simpsons concert. I heard about so that Simpsons thing. thing. It was fun. Was yeah. That was at the Hollywood Bowl? Yeah. That was like, and they did all the songs from the Simpsons? They did the songs, they had the cast members come out and do voices, and they were doing dances. It was really good. So that, was, was, really your, cool. that was your son's thing? That was my son's thing, yeah. First concert. That was his first thing, yeah. And, then, and your daughter's first was. She's also been to Beyonce, and yeah. That's a good. Again, never heard. Never heard, heard of, it. of this. piano. And it's like there's a new up and coming
0: artist. Yeah. Uh, do, do you ever school your kids on what the new music is, or do I, they school you?
1: N- I actually schooled my daughter in terms of Lord when Lord. F- <laughs> the Lord? No, not not the Lord. No, <laughs> no, not the Lord. But I do school her on that. Yeah, as yeah well. good. Yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you introduced her to the Lord. Good for you. <laughs> you know what? And, <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm here tonight. <laughs> um, yeah, you get me involved with this? We shouldn't talk about religion if it's not here. Yeah. I have something—a <laughs> um, um, pamphlet. Yeah, read some stuff. Just—it'll—it'll it'll take five minutes. Time. <laughs> uh, I'll do it after the show. No, but you um, heard this. Song? Yeah, I heard it on like an alt station in LA, and I, like early, early on, it wasn't getting a lot of airplay, and I said that's—that's that's a song, that's something, and I told my, at the time, 12-year-old daughter, I'm like. You've got you to listen to this.
0: So, what do we hear the world's view, at least Jimmy Fallon and Steve Carell's view of? What, what is Steve Carell communicating about evangelism? It's, it's awkward. What else? Say something, It's ridiculous. It's funny. It's scripted. Yeah. Very not genuine. What else? Cheesy. It's superficial. It's going to take five minutes of your time. It's an infomercial. Yeah, yeah, very infomercially. Yeah, I'll give you a track. Give this pamphlet. Would, would you read it? it? Do you ever, I remember one time my cousin and I, we were driving and we pulled over because we saw a $100 bill on the side of the road. It was one of the $100 bill tracks. I was like, oh man, and like through that. <laughs> it's superficial. Um, it's kind of offensive. He jokes about just giving a pamphlet. not real. It's, it's deceptive. Uh, that's that's kind of why I brought you here tonight, Jimmy. You you could hear that kind of joke, and now these jokes are not made in a vacuum. These are because this is the stereotype. These are the real experiences that either Steve has had or he has seen. Now, what how does what's significant about Jimmy's response to this evangelist meeting the Lord? Later, after the show, after the show. Yeah, we should not we should not talk about religion. Yeah, like I don't want to talk about that. This is this is too much. And, and kind of introducing someone to the Lord is insignificant. It doesn't matter. It's it laughable. It's a funny thing. Don't get me involved. We shouldn't talk about religion. And so, you know, and I remember seeing this and going, wow. I mean, we watch Fallon almost every night. I think he's just hilarious. And seeing that moment with him and Steve Carell going, okay, that is very indicative of many people's experiences and how they view evangelism. So, what, what are some principles that we, that we can draw from that and how we ought to better contextualize the gospel to people? Like if you watch that clip and go, okay, how could I improve my evangelism practices? What are some things that you would not do and things you could do? Be yeah, be a lot more personal. Let people know your name. And I'm actually, I had some Mormons come to our door recently and I talked to them for a long time and I asked him, I, told, I said, hey, I'm Jeff. I was like, what's, what's your name? She's like, oh, it's Sister Robinson. I was like, okay, uh, I'm Jeff. Like, what's your first name? Oh, I can't tell you. You can't tell me? <laughs> no, nope, not when I'm on mission, I can't tell you. I was like, oh, well, I'm always on mission. My name's Jeff. <laughs> like, uh, you know, like, I, why, she's like, if I saw you at the farmer's market, I would tell you. I'm like, okay, I'm like, whatever. Like, that's weird. That's odd. But Christianity's not like that. And so let's be the people who are very personal, who are very real, who aren't superficial, who aren't, here's a pamphlet just see you, you know, read it on your lunch break, let me know. What are some other things that we could do to improve our evangelism? Yeah. Yeah, real folks, talk to them like real people, not the deceptive, offensive, superficial nature. Let me give you what I think are some hindrances in our evangelism. So now I'm talking about, okay, we actually are evangelizing. And you're probably thinking, why haven't we, like, what is the definition of evangelism? We're going to get there, but I want to lay all this other stuff out first. I think when we're actually evangelizing, some of the hindrances in it, why we're not being heard, why things are not going well, is that we're treating sinners like they're saints. And that we forget that it's, like, we we can become so Christian cultured and ghettoized that we forget that people that are not Christians, they are very sinful people, and we are too, but that we have just now, we have Christ, and now we're growing. And so when we are around unbelievers, and you look down on them or feel this need to like correct everything that they're doing, like we had lunch, uh, we had dinner with some of Natalie's coworkers. We're all hanging out. We're the only Christians there, and they were saying things that, you know, Natalie and I talked about afterwards how difficult it was to not just go, hey, you shouldn't say that, or oh my gosh, like it, evidence that we need to be around unbelievers a whole lot more. I went uncomfortable. I was totally willing to be among them and hang out with them and be seen with them, of course. But we have to be careful to realize, man, these people, they don't know Jesus. Of course, they're going to act like and live like they don't know Jesus. So we need to be comfortable with that and realize that they are sinful people still. I think that hindrance number one. Hindrance number two is that we could just be jerks. We're just not nice people sometimes. We're very abrupt. We're very short. Uh, and the way that we speak, If you're at the, if you're at lunch with some of your coworkers or you're with some some people in the neighborhood that you know aren't believers and you're talking about the Grammys or you're talking about SNL had the three hour, and like a three and a half hour special on Sunday night. It was hilarious. And you're watching and you go, oh, Miley Cyrus is so disgusting. Bleah, I wish you put some clothes on. And you're talking like that with them. They may go like, what, what are you talking about? I like Miley Cyrus. Like us, Christians talking together, we go, yeah, that was inappropriate. That was nasty. Or that, that's not, I don't want my kids to see that. Well, around unbelievers, they don't care. And now they're going to be put off by that and be like, Christian. Always like, oh, yeah, blah, 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 judging everything. I mean, that's what they're going to start picking up from us. And those are discipleship things. We should have those conversations. Hey, yeah, you should not watch Fifty Shades of Grey. That's disgusting. It's satanic. That's a discipleship moment. That's not really an evangelistic moment. It it could be, but it's most certainly, it probably won't be most of the time. And that ties into the third one. We're forgetting of what is of utmost importance. The gospel is of utmost importance, not our view On politics, which, if you want to really cut out any ground to evangelize someone, like go to war with them over policy issues, go to war with them over all kinds of things, and you will totally undercut any opportunities you have to really be heard. You can deliver the gospel, no doubt. You could walk in and just say the facts, guns blazing, but you're not going to be heard. They're just going to turn you off because they've already turned you off. Assuming people know the Bible and using all the Christian needs, kind of like like Ian was saying, and and being superficial. These are all hindrances in our evangelism that we've got to rid ourselves of, and being willing to explain things. Like the guy earlier that I was giving, loss and I in the cab with Abdul, he had never heard of John 3.16. That was probably the first person I've ever spoken with that had no concept of John 3.16. The most famous evangelist verse in the Bible, and I remember we're talking, I was like, you know, like the Bible in John 3, I was like, Wait, have you heard of John 3.16? Do you know what this is? It's like, no, I don't know what you're saying. I was like, okay, so now I have, to, I have to explain what the gospel of John is. And I have to explain the chapters. Okay, now, so John is one of the guys that walked with Jesus, one of the disciples, and he wrote this book kind of telling us about Jesus so that we would believe in him. And so in one of the chapters, he says, as Jesus is writing and Jesus says, as Jesus says in Nicodemus, John wrote that Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, who is Jesus, that all who believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So we have to be able to explain the Bible to people in the most simple terms you can imagine. They go, okay, let me tell you why there's Old Testament, New Testament. Let me explain to you these letters. Let me tell you why there's different translations. It's like, you, you need to know your Bible well and you need to know your Christian faith well so that you can deliver it. Some people are not gonna care. Like with Francois, the, the, the Buddhist that, you know, my wife and I were able to lead to Christ. It was very just, here's the scriptures, we're gonna read them. Don't assume that people know the Bible. All right, what are some hindrances to evangelizing, to getting into the actual act of evangelism? First one, we're unwilling to take the risk. We're unwilling to take the risk. There are some casual moments in evangelism, but most of the time it's gonna be controversial. And most of the time it's going to be that conversational like, Hurt in the punch bowl, kind of thing. Like, like you're, you're like, as soon as you bring that up, you're, you're totally ruining the moment for them. Like, you're totally derailing the conversation. Like, I got a couple questions from folks coming in. Like, how can I say things without derailing the conversation? You can do some things, you can be kind, you can always be gracious in our tones, that's always really important. But as soon as you talk about how Christ died and rose again and that you must believe, You've totally derailed the conversation for them. You've totally messed up any kind of flow, any kind. Now you're saying you must repent and believe, or you're going to hell. Like those things are essential, and it's news. This is really good news. It's not just opinion. We have to tell them the news. We have to take the risk, walk out there, and be willing. You know, I I might lose their respect. I might lose their. I might lose this relationship. Whatever. I I got to bring it out. I think another hindrance is is that you may not have counted the cost of following Jesus here have you counted the cost of following Christ? If you have been reconciled to him, now you have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. And if you are unwilling to tell people you're unwilling to evangelize, Jesus would say, you have not counted the cost. Once you have your hand on the plow, you cannot look to the left, to the right. You gotta keep going. And I, I I think American Christians fear offending a family member or a friend more than they do being beheaded by ISIS. Like I think some of us would probably see, oh, that'd probably be easier than we do just having the raised eyebrow rather than a raised sword. And we have brothers and sisters who are being murdered all over the world. And we sit in great comfort and we are just not using it. And the day will come, when it'll be, it will be more difficult to be a Christian in our society and it's already happening. So have you counted the cost to following Jesus? I think third hindrance is fear. What are you afraid of when you, when you want to evangelize and you don't evangelize? What are some of the things you're scared of? Rejection, it's a big one, totally. Losing, that relationship. Losing the relationship. Not knowing what to say. Yeah, totally, not knowing what to say. Jessica, were you raising your hand? Saying, totally Saying the wrong thing, yeah, yeah, Absolutely. There's all kinds of fears. Fears of losing a relationship, uh, fear of rejection. And I think all of these things, when you stack them all up, and then you, so you put all the fears on one side. And then, so that's the reason why we talk about those confidences. All those confidences trump all those fears. Holy Spirit's with you. The authority of Jesus. Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. It's not on us closing the sale. It's our job to deliver. God can cause people to be born again with anything. Even bad, like a lot of us were probably saved in the middle of bad theology. I totally was. Like, God doesn't need a perfect, like, theologian to deliver the gospel. Just be faithful with the gospel. Um, You weigh up all those fears, and then then you weigh up the reality that this person will go to hell if they don't repent and believe in Jesus. I'm willing to lose the relationship if that means they might be saved. Maybe not even by me. Maybe by someone else down the road. I'm willing to lay it all out there. I'm willing to take the risk if that means I look like a complete idiot, I'm willing to take the risk and totally throw the gospel out there. If this means I'm going to lose this client, count the cost. I'm willing to lose it. And if you're a Christian, your life's goal for being alike, being liked, was crucified with Christ. So we just have to repent and get over that. Like, that's gone. Once you've signed up for, I want to be crucified with Christ. I want to be shamed with Christ. I want to be crucified, naked with him, being pierced, blood. I want it all. I want to be considered a fool for Christ's sake because the cross is folly to those who are perishing. You just gotta repent of wanting to be liked and admitting it, saying, Lord, I like being liked more than I want you to be honored. Forgive me and empower me. And as soon as you get there, you, you, if you don't get there, you won't walk in evangelism. You'll continue to walk in fear because you are evangelizing yourself more than you are Christ. That's really what's manifested in our fears. You won't have all the right answers. Fourth hindrance is lack of love for God and neighbor. Because the love of Christ isn't controlling us. I'm not really loving God, I'm not loving his glory, I'm not loving his word and what he's called me to be. You are a witness, you are an ambassador. I am not walking in obedience. When I see those opportunities, when I tell my family member, when I tell that uncle, I tell that friend, and I haven't done it yet, and I'm not trying to build a relationship to be there. It's disobedience, I'm not loving our neighbor. I don't know if you ever saw the video, Um, I can put it up later on Facebook, but it's uh, Penn Gillette. The, one of the comedians, kind of magician in the pen and Teller thing. He's an atheist, and he talked about how, he said, you know, Christians, some of them I respect, totally. He, said, he talked about how a guy came up to him after the show and gave him a Bible, and he said, he was proselytizing me, he was evangelizing me. And I respect that, because he really believed the hell is real. And he didn't want me to go there. And he said, how much do you have to hate someone to not want them To go to heaven. That you really believe they're going to hell. Like you know, in your theology, in your faith, they're going to hell. How much you have to hate them to not tell them how they cannot go there. So, as an atheist, he thought, man, I totally respect that guy evangelizing. And so, we need to get there and tell our family members, tell our friends, I want to implore you, be reconciled to Christ. For this is what I believe is going to happen to you. Next hindrance we don't really know any unbelievers. Like, I can't name any. Like, if you were to say, okay, well, this is the one person I want to evangelize this year. Um, I'm not going to give up on them until they repent and believe. Name one. If you can't name one, that's a problem. That, that's not very Christ-like. We, if we're to be Christ-like, we're to be a friend of sinners. We're too busy with life. We're too cocooned with Christianity. It's really kind of a modern-day monkery. We've removed the popes and we've removed the bishops and cardinals, but we've still monked ourselves in all of our Christian activity. And so now we need to be released into that and go meet unbelievers, go meet our neighbors and evangelize them and tell them how they can be saved. The last one I think is that we could be self-righteous or self-righteous, like, ugh, those sinners, ugh. That's, when we are there, we have not grasped the heart of the gospel. Let me define evangelism for us real quick, then we'll take a little break. What evangelism isn't, okay? This is kind of what evangelism isn't, or I would also call it pre-evangelism. Evangelism Evangelism is not inviting people to church. That's pre-evangelism. That's good, that's not evangelism. Evangelism is not posting scripture on Facebook. Evangelism is not posting Christian articles on Facebook and just praying that people will read them. Evangelism is not having people over for dinner. Evangelism is not apologetics. It's not doing worldview, figuring out their worldview. Are they one-ism, two-ism? Are they Buddhist? Are Are they Zen? Praying with people is not evangelism. This is a common thing. You can do this. Waitress, waiter, server. Hey, thank you. We're about to pray for our food. Is there anything we can pray for you about? That's good. That may be a bridge to evangelism, but that in and of itself is not evangelism. Talking just about life. Because sometimes what will happen after a night like this is that we get some boldness. Okay, all right, I'm gonna go talk to my neighbor. And we're talking with them and go, yeah, great, I go to church, it's really cool. All right, bye, see ya. And we go, okay, that's good. Did evangelism. Like, no, you didn't. That's a good step. That's pre-evangelism. Those are good things. Having God talk and spiritual talk, talking about spiritual things, that's all pre-evangelism. It's not evangelism itself. Evangelism is proclaiming the good news. A lot of times in the New Testament, you will hear, you'll see, and Paul preached the gospel. Preach the gospel. That's three words in English. It's one word in Greek. Evangelizomai, one word. word. He is proclaiming the gospel. That's all that word means. That's evangelism, proclaiming the gospel. And so you can tease it out more. Proclaiming the good news, the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection, granting forgiveness to sinners, delivering them from the wrath of God, Giving them eternal life with repentance and faith and following them, and following Him, inviting them to believe in Jesus. Evangelism is proclaiming the good news, the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection, granting forgiveness to sinners, delivering them from the wrath of God, giving them eternal life by repentance, faith, and following Him. It's inviting people to follow and believe in Jesus. Before you can really even define evangelism, you have to define the gospel. I I think a lot of Christians, we struggle to even define the gospel. And we do this in our membership classes now that I have people say, hey, write down on a piece of paper, I want you to define the gospel. I'm not gonna have you do that, but you should do that on your own now. And a lot of times people will forget really important elements. And usually the most common one that people forget to write down is that Jesus rose again from the dead. They usually say, Jesus died for sins. Jesus was born of Virgin Mary and he died on the cross and you can be forgiven. Those are gospel truths, but the whole gospel must be contained in that in 1 Corinthians, you can write this verse down. This is the most simple definition of the gospel in the whole scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, verses three and four. And I deliver to you as of, of utmost and of first importance that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Death, resurrection, and then we bring it all together, inviting people to believe. We talk about why he died. We tell them why they need it and how you can have it. So why he died, why we need it, and how you can have it. This is evangelism. And when we come back for our little break, we'll talk more about how, the, how we keep that laser beam focus in evangelism and not get distracted with all the other things going on in the world. All right, let's take a Two, three minute break, real quick. Stand up, stretch your legs, get some coffee, and we'll come right back, all right? All right, let's make our, make our way back to our seats. gonna try to, try to get through all of the material that I have tonight. And so I, I hope that you taking notes is being helpful. I'm also going to post all of this uh, on the city this week. And so I'm going to edit some of it because it's all typed up kind of in my kind of shorthand. Um, I did not manuscript all of this, so it's not as succinct as like a Sunday morning. Um, but I want to make it available for you. And then Kevin is going to type up the definition of evangelism that I gave, and he'll pop that up on the screen uh, eventually. So we'll have that there. Okay, well, now I want to talk about when we, when we are getting to the gospel, okay, we're coming over our hindrances, we believe our confidence, we, we're ready, we're engaging, and we're talking with so-and-so. Remember, there, there's a lot in our day You could take the topic of homosexuality. You could take the topic of abortion. Um, You could take the topic of atheism. I mean, anything. You can get caught up in just talking about... So if this is the person's heart, I I should have drawn a heart, but it's a circle. (laughs) So if this is the person's heart, we can get caught up in trying to debate all of these side things. And okay, well, let's talk about their view of creation. Let's talk about homosexuality. Let's let's talk about abortion. Let's talk about their view of Scripture. And we can just kind of just keep going around and around and around and never just going, let's get right to the heart of the matter. You are dead in your sins. And apart from Jesus Christ, you are headed for eternal damnation. But Jesus stands ready to save if you will come to him. You don't have to defeat all of these things to then, okay, now I have a clear path. Gabe and I were just we just talking in between. Like you you don't you don't have to earn the right to share the gospel. It's been granted to you by the King of the universe. There are things we can do to grant maybe more credibility to being heard, but you can say it without any hesitation. You can give it without any any fear. You don't have to earn the right. You don't have to look for all these kind of opportunities and windows. You just be obedient. You just walk in and, and and you just give the gospel. Keep it about Jesus. 1 Corinthians 2.2, this sermon, was a couple weeks ago. I desire, when Paul's talking about how he evangelized the Corinthians, I desire to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is evangelism. That's, okay, fine. Yeah, we can talk, I can give you my view on that if you want, just personal view. But um, we stand as ambassadors for Christ. So let's tell them what the Bible says. It is not important that they know our personal views. And don't shortchange your evangelism by saying, you know, let me tell you what I feel like true for me. No, I want to tell you the truth of the universe. I'm going to telling a waitress. Ask her. It's a great question you can ask people in evangelism. What do you think Jesus is doing right now? You will learn a lot about them in that one moment. I, she was very perceptive on my grammar. It, it, people uh, pick these things up. What, what, so what do you think Jesus is doing right now? And she said, nothing. He's in the ground. And so now we're automatically to the gospel. No, let me tell you what Jesus is doing right now. He's alive. He's reigning as the king of the universe. And he has sent me here to tell you that you could be saved. Are you willing? Like this is how we keep it about Jesus. The things that I wanna establish and lay out in evangelism are these five things. Jesus is a person, that he's the God man. He's done like anyone else, total God, total man. You wanna establish these things about Jesus, Jesus' person. Second one, his work. So his person and then his work, the cross and the resurrection. And included in that, you you add on, sinless life, he's loving, he's kind, he's gracious, and his cross. So why he died, how he died in our place as our substitute. And it wasn't that he got railroaded by the Romans, but it was under the plan of God. He came for this time to give his life as a ransom for many, and that he rose again. So, his person, his work that's the cross and the resurrection, and that it's his way. Total exclusivity. There is no other way. That's Christ and Christ alone. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one gets to the Father but by me. There is no other way. His invitation. So, his person, his work, his way. In his invitation, Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So we ought to have that same tone in our evangelism that Jesus is inviting you to believe. Are you ready? Will you receive him? His invitation is repent and believe. To repent and believe. You will find that when you begin to work up the Holy Spirit courage, you'll begin to talk about the gospel. You'll tell the facts and data of the gospel, but then you are completing the evangelistic nature of the gospel when you say, And will you believe? I find that to be the most challenging part to really look someone else in the eyeball and say, will you repent and believe? What keeps you from believing in Jesus today? That's the really hard part. It's easy to talk theory and talk truth and verses. And then when you say, let's get to the heart of your life, will you repent and believe? His person, his work, his way, his invitation and his gifts, eternal life, forgiveness of sin, Reconciliation, assurance, freedom from sin, freedom from anxiety and worry and cares. His gifts, eternal life being the big one. And not just heaven like floating on cloud kind of thing, but eternal life now. Joy, I mean, so you bring up the gifts and the chief gift being himself, that we get Jesus, we get to be with Jesus. They may not get that yet and that's okay, his person, his work, his way, his invitation, and his gifts. Always bring it back to Jesus. People are going to want to talk about all kinds of issues, but always bring it back to him. We can spend hours going over hurdles and all those things, but keep it about Jesus. I heard Tim Keller say once, he's like, okay, yeah, you may not like what the Bible says about homosexuality, and I understand that. But does that keep you, but so, because the Bible says this about homosexuality, does that mean that Jesus could not have risen from the dead? Okay, so you don't like what the Bible says about uh, abortion. Okay. But does that mean that Jesus could not have risen from the dead? See, that's, that's the line thing again. Okay, you don't like what Christians believe and how they act and how they operate and how we think about things. We know that. And we know that because they're dead in their sins. They don't have to get this all straightened up. You don't, to, you don't have to have Ephesians 2, 4 through 10 before you can have Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. You tell them Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 stuff, and then you invite them to Ephesians 2, 4 through 10 stuff. That same line that I, that I drew on the board earlier. And don't forget to call people to repent and believe. That is the most challenging part. Things, you just say things like, so what's keeping you from believing in Jesus? Why not follow him now? The way the Bible speaks, today is the day of salvation. Just say what the Bible says. It's amazing that when you do evangelize or or you do teach or you're doing Bible studies, and when you just say what the Bible says, people will say things like, I've never heard anyone speak like this before. you'll hear that a lot. It's very similar to what was said of Jesus, what was said of John the Baptist. this, This guy teaches with like authority. I don't understand. Because I'm just saying what the Bible says. I'm just using metaphors. I'm using the same language. Today's the day. Come and believe. It's in the Bible, all over the Bible. So when you call for a response, do this. Do believe that salvation involves a response. You must give it. You read Acts, Peter, again and again. What must we do to be saved? Repent and believe. What must we do? What must we do? Repent and believe. Understand the necessity for calling for that response. And be sure you understand the issues required. Some people people just go, yeah, sure, totally. Like Abdul in the car. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, great. He recognizes he has a need, but will he repent? Will you turn from Islam? and say, Allah is a liar, and I will follow Jesus of Nazareth. Stress that saving faith involves more than knowledge. This is not just adding more data into our brains. This is, I, re- I see I need to be born again, that I am, a, I am dead, and I need to be made alive by Christ. Focus your appeal to the person. I'm, I'm appealing you on behalf of Christ, the 2 Corinthians 5 language, be reconciled to God. Things not to do. Don't press for a response. So, so will you believe? No. How about now? <laughs> like, you really need to now. Now, no no. I mean, you do that. You, you implore, and then you back off. And you don't, like, okay, I'm done. Never get, well, They work, like, the hallway down from you. You're going to see them again. You still be friends with them. You still love them. You still, you still care for them. Don't manipulate. Rather Persuade. You're persuading them. You're engaging with them intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually with Christ. Don't give the impression that if they're, if they're saved by saying the right words. Just say, Jesus is Lord, and you'll be saved. Just pray this prayer after me. Do not do that. I don't think that's a helpful thing to do. There is no sinner's prayer in the Bible. There's nothing like that. that salvation is not some incantation. I think there's probably hundreds of people who have done that and realize that later in life, oh my gosh, I'm not really a Christian. So don't, don't give the impression that they're saying the right words. Just tell me it's belief. People at the church that I've sat with, I mean, Brett Gill, I remember when we sat down at CC's and had lunch and our evangelism moment was super unique. I've never had one like this since. So we sat down he said, I'm not a Christian, I wanna be one. Okay, that's easy. Um, and the girl at Starbucks, I, she told me she was gonna go take a class and become a Christian on Saturday. Like, you don't have to do that. And she said, well, what do I need to do to be saved? That's easy. But some, you'll find when you get in these conversations, the gospel is gonna be teed up for you. Just will you walk in faith and say it? Focus your appeal to them. Don't make it like they just have to repeat these words. And don't hold back because you're worried about offending them. You can never dress up the gospel enough to will you will remove the offense. When we remove the offense of the gospel, we're, we've lost the gospel. The gospel is always going to be offensive. Because they're going to have in the back of their mind. So what you're telling me, that means my, my granddad went to hell. Is that what you're telling me? Or what are you going to do? Well, I mean, you know, you know, maybe Jesus stepped into the last moment. I mean, you, you can't say stuff like that. Paul faces these same things. You just say the truth. You walk in boldness and let the Holy Spirit do his thing. I think we'll find more freedom and more power the less we interject ourselves into evangelism and the more that we just become ambassadors and to say, here's the truth. Sermons all throughout Acts. Acts 2.38, repent and believe. Acts 17.30, look at that passage with me, please. Acts seventeen. Verse thirty, Paul is preaching. This is a great chapter uh, for evangelism and modeling it. Acts seventeen thirty, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now, so right now, it was true in the first century; definitely true in the twenty first century. Now He commands all people everywhere to repent. We should do we speak this way? God commands you to repent, not you know He's asking you if you're willing very soft-pedaling, no, very bold. God commands you, and I'm here on His behalf, to repent. Verse 31, why? Why the urgency? Because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. Who is this? And of this, He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead." So there's Paul. He's talking about resurrection. He's talking about repentance. Those are the two common things people forget in evangelism. What's the response? Verse 32. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Of course. So be ready to be mocked. Receive the mocking. But others said, we'll hear you again about this. I'm kind of interested in that. Verse 30. So Paul went out from the midst. 34. But, but some men joined him and believed. That's our hope. You leave it up to the Lord, you faithfully present, and you just let him see what he's gonna do. You tell the reality. You give the reality of the message. You can't sugarcoat it, you can't change it. Here's the reality, and don't get frustrated. Just tell the reality. And while I wanna watch this next video, and tell me who's the evangelist in the video, and tell me what aspects you see in evangelism about them, okay? Okay?
1: According my Navi computer, like... Shut up! Just shut up, you idiot! Sheriff, sure, this is no time to panic. This is the perfect time to panic! I'm lost, Andy is gone, they're going to move from their house in two days and it's all your fault! My, my fault? If you hadn't pushed me out of the window in the first place... Oh, yeah. Well, if you hadn't shown up your stupid little cardboard spaceship and taken away everything that was important to me... Don't talk to me about importance, because of you, the security of this entire universe is in jeopardy. What? What are you talking about? Right now, poised at the edge of the galaxy, Emperor Zerg has been secretly building a weapon with the destructive capacity to annihilate an entire planet. I alone have information that reveals this weapon's only weakness. And you, my friend, are responsible for delaying my rendezvous with Star Command! You are a toy! You weren't the real Buzz Lightyear! You're, uh, you're an accent figure! You are a child's plaything! You are a sad, strange little man, and you have my pity.
0: Farewell. Who, who's the evangelist? You think Buzz the evangelist? Why is Buzz the evangelist? Huh? He is delivering news, but is it reality? No. I think there's there's two ways to look at it. Woody knows reality. You are a child's plaything. His posture is very poor. (laughs) And we can get like that. We can get frustrated. You are a sinner. You need to believe. I mean, he's he's telling Buzz reality. Buzz is like, totally, whatever. And he's frustrated. We can't get like that. But I think on the other side, so we'll flip it around from the other perspective, which everyone picked up on. And this is the one I gravitate to, to towards most. I think from the world's perspective, we are Buzz. There's Buzz looking at the moon on the edge of the galaxy. Jesus is the king of the universe. I mean, like, we sound crazy. So both of these are working. You can see both of the perspectives. Woody's giving reality. So you can see both. Unbelievers, probably from the perspective of, of Woody, you're nuts. you are totally lost your mind. We're just here. There's nothing. You're, you're, just, you're just protoplasm. It's over. From Buzz's perspective, he, like, has the insights to the universe. i have to rendezvous with Star Command. You know, like, we have the Bible. We have the Holy Spirit. So you can see how odd we could sound in these things, but you can hear from both of them a posture that we need. The posture in evangelism is super important. We know the old proverb, the old American proverb, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. That's true in evangelism. That's not what you said, but how you said it. You could, Proverbs 16, by sweetness of speech, persuasiveness is added. So you can deliver the truth totally. Check, I said the truth. But if you're a jerk in the process, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, if I don't have love, it's nothing. If I don't have love and I even give my body to be burned, if I, if I don't have love and I'm a great missionary, I'm just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. So we need to have the message true, nailed down, and also great love for people when we give it. The posture in evangelism, think of two things. Acts 2, who's Peter preaching to? A bunch of Jewish people who understand God, who have a conception of creation, who, who are very religious. That is akin to a Christian culture. That's like the era of Billy Graham. Billy Graham can get up and speak in a certain way and tons of people knew the framework and they believed. In Acts 17, that's almost like Paul's engaging, a, he's engaging a non-Christian culture, Mars Hill, and there's idols everywhere. And so he speaks in such a way to engage them where they are. That's like preaching in a post-Christian or non-Christian culture where no one knows what he's talking about. He's delivering totally new news. To some people in Tomball and Houston, the gospel is not new news. It's news they've heard before, and they don't care. Some people in Tomball, the news, that's new news. I've never heard that before. And so the way you speak, you want to compare Acts 2, the way Peter speaks, and do this on your own, and Acts 17, and the way that Paul speaks, those are the ways that we engage. Like one of my uh, barbers that I go see, he's cutting my hair, um, and he tells me he's a Christ follower. And I thought, great. But when people tell you that, don't just go, oh, whew, like, oh, okay, great. So ask him, so yeah, so what do you think about Jesus? Who's Jesus to you? Oh, uh, you know, I think he's kind of like a mystical man. Like, okay. One of the great things you can do in evangelism is don't assume that you know what they mean. Ask people, okay, what do you mean by that? That is one of the most helpful questions you will ever have in an evangelistic conversation. What, what do you mean by that? I hate Christians, okay? What do you mean by that? I think the Bible's totally ridiculous. What do you mean by that? Because it could be, you know, I think the Bible's so ridiculous because it says polygamy's okay. Okay, where do you see that? I don't see that in my Bible. And so you, you talk about these things, um, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm a total Christ follower." Oh, great, man. Well, tell me, who's Jesus? What does it mean to follow Christ? Ah, I think he's just a magical person. I Maybe mean, magical. I'm like, you know, he did miracles. I'm like, oh yeah, totally, he did miracles. And I just, and I don't think he's the only way. I think there's many ways to be saved. So this is a Christ follower who thinks there's many other ways. This is a Christ follower who thinks there's many other ways to be saved. So what do you do when you've got sharp knives around your head? And I just tell him, I said, you know what? That's not what Jesus says, though. I don't know if you're familiar with what Jesus said. Jesus actually said, there is no other way. I am the only way. And so maybe the Christ you're following is not really the Christ of the Bible. Does that make sense? That's a really helpful question to have too in your evangelism, asking, telling people, does that make sense? Like what I just said and what I just laid out, does that make sense to you? Are you, are you tracking with me? I know I just laid out some weird stuff to you maybe you haven't heard before. Does that make sense? That's a great question to keep asking people. Does that make sense? 1 Corinthians 9, you write this down, read on your own. Paul says, I do all for the sake of the gospel. I become a Jew to the Jews I become weak to the weak. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Woe was me if I don't preach the gospel. So Paul felt the burden and the drive. He gave up preferences. And he says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 23, by all means that I might save some. So he's saying, I will do whatever I need to do. I think that's a posture we must adopt. By all means. Do I gotta drive way far? Do I need to take a longer lunch break? Do I need to come in early to talk to this person? Do I need to... Um, not bring up this topic. I mean, what, I mean, whatever. By all, what can I do that these people will hear the gospel? And let's not be hoarders of the glories of grace. And let's not forget who the real enemy is. The real enemy is not the people that we're engaging with. Second Corinthians 4, 1-6, through six, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And the God who says, let light shine out of darkness. That, that's who we need. So we must plead with God. Will you shine your light in this darkness? Second Timothy 2, we must correct our opponents with gentleness. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. That God may perhaps grant them repentance. Our posture is so important. The fruit of the Spirit never goes out the window. Acts 8, 29 and 35. We should help people understand what the Bible really says. This is Philip when he's with the Ethiopian eunuch and he's reading the scroll of Isaiah and Philip comes to him by the prompting of the Holy Spirit and says, do you understand what you're reading there? And he says, how can I unless someone tells me? And the Bible says, so beginning with that scripture, he explained to him Jesus. So we must do the same thing, help people understand what the Bible really says. Acts 17, Paul meets people where they are and they speak up and He connects. We have a lot of material and I just, it's already 8.30. We're not gonna be able to cover it all. So let me, let me pick some of these things. I'm gonna be really helpful to you. We'll post all of this on the city. Intentional and relational evangelism. Okay, there's two, kind of the friendship evangelism, the relational kind and the confrontational kind of just once. Like this is all you got. You got to do both. It's never one or the other. You should build relationships. You should be intentional, be relational. Acts 18, Paul was in Corinth for 18 months. Building, relational. Acts 19, eight through 10, he persuaded them. I think for two years, it says, he was there among them, persuading, persuading, persuading in Ephesus. That's long view, long haul evangelism. Also, short one. Acts 26, 27, and 29, Paul is in chains and Paul says to King Agrippa, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. So he's very like, hey, what do you believe? And Agrippa said to Paul, in such a short time, would you persuade, and there's the same word, would you persuade me to be a Christian? So he's picking up, okay, you, we just now met and you're, you're trying to convince me to be a believer, this follower of the way of this crucified guy? And Paul says, whether short or long, short time, long time, he says, I don't care. I would to God that, only, that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might be become such as I am except for these chains. That's our posture. Whether it's short, long, I'll, I'll take any mode I can find. By all means, I just want you to be saved. Evangelism is reporting and persuading. Here's why you should believe. His work, his way, his person, his gifts, intentional and organic evangelism. In Acts 17, verse 16, Paul's just waiting in Athens. It says, and as Paul was waiting in Athens, his spirit was provoked. He wasn't looking to evangelize. He was just looking around and he was provoked in his spirit and said, man, I've got to say this stuff. I just got to say it. Paul and Silas are just sitting in prison and they're singing. And then an opportunity arises to bring the gospel. A great gospel outline for you. God, man, Christ response. Okay, what, do I, what, what are the things I actually need to say? Tell them about God. Tell them about who man is, that we're sinners, that we're in need of grace, that we all have value, we're made in God's image. God, Jesus, God loves them. Tell them about Christ and call them to respond. We have some verses we'll give you on the way out. I think we, we have them here. Yeah, they're here on the way out. 40 verses that you could take and you could memorize, you could have, study. Um, it's just all the references, I want you to look them up, underline them in your Bible, have them ready. You could fold it up, stick it in your Bible, Great verses about God, man, Christ's response for you. We also have, because the starting point varies for everybody. You're gonna have a different conversation with Jehovah's Witness than you would someone who's suffering. You're gonna have a different conversation with a Buddhist than you would someone who has cancer. And like, usually we think of entry points. Okay, what do they believe? Instead of just what they believe, what are they going through? And that's another entry point to engage with them. Like, okay, our neighbor, um, they just went through, her, her mom died. And so I'm, I'm talking to her about, Jesus that way, and the comfort of that Christ offers, and so there's different inch points than in just what do they believe, but also what are they going through as, as human beings. And if you want to learn what someone believes, I had a couple of these questions come in. Okay, how can I talk to a Buddhist? How can I talk to a Hindu? How can I talk to? And that, that's important. The easiest way to do that is just ask them. Ask them. Hey, you're, I heard you're a Buddhist. So what what do you believe? And now you're developing relationship, you're developing conversation, and you're actually learning their brand of Buddhism, not some book written by a Christian. Because like we know as Christians, we don't all believe the same stuff. <laughs> and it's wrong to assume that all Buddhists believe the same things. They clearly don't, just like we don't. And so it's learn from them so you can engage that person. You can do this with everybody. Learn from them, you're developing that relationship, and then you're finding opportunities to talk about Jesus. I'm gonna post on the city an expanded Romans road. It's a really great verses of scripture all in the book of Romans. It starts with who God is, who we are, who Christ is, what Christ has done, and what what we must do. It's awesome. Who God is, all the verses, who we are, who Christ is, what Christ has done, and what we must do. Quickly, how you can grow in evangelism. Ask them questions. Ask them, what do you think about this? So what do you you think about the Bible? That's getting you there. These are bridges. What, What do you mean by that? When they say things, I already shared that. So what do you mean when you say that you think Jesus is magical? What do you mean by that? You follow up with, does that make sense what I just said about Jesus died in our place? Does that make sense? Can I explain that to you? Who do you think Jesus is? What do you think Jesus is doing right now? Other bridges to evangelism. Talk to them about church. In the Bible Belt, it's not weird to say, talk about your church and what you did this weekend. Ask them, do you go to church anywhere? Or is, that, is that something you do? You're getting it, so that's not the gospel. That's getting you a bridge to the gospel. Ask them personal experience questions. So, so um, what, what kind of spiritual journey are you on? Like, I don't know. Nothing, I guess. Oh, oh, well, you know, and you say, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian and, um, we believe, and then you, you go into it. Have you come to know Jesus in a real way? Do you know who Jesus really is? I mean, these, these are bridges right to the gospel, intellectual bridge. Has anyone ever told you what the Bible really says about this? Has anyone ever told you how you could know God? Do you want to know what Christianity really is about? I know there's been all kinds of crazy stuff in Christianity. I know our Christian Bible Belt has all kinds of stupid idiotic stuff. Let me tell you what real Christianity is. That's really refreshing to some people. And that when you say, there are some Christian things that we do are ridiculous. I agree with you. I agree there are a lot of hypocrites in the church, and I'm, you don't even know the half of how hypocritical we are. This is why we need Jesus, because we're not perfect. But we need Christ. So you're creating these bridges, a personal opinion bridge. This is a really helpful one. So what do you think about God? What do you think about religion? What do you think about Jesus? What do you think about the Bible? In your opinion, you know, what do you think a Christian is? These are all really easy conversation starters and just getting to the heart of the gospel. Current issues bridge. So what do you think? Do you want to know what the Bible says about ISIS? Do you want to know what the Bible says about um, athletes that cheat? You want to know what the, I mean, you can, anything. You want to know what the Bible says about marriage, about sexuality, Fifty Shades of Grey? I mean, you can talk about anything because Jesus is Lord of all. Everything eventually will connect. Relationship bridge This is the easiest ones. This is, you have to be friends with this person. Tom, we've been, we've been friends for a while. And I, I, I need to tell you this. I've done this before with a friend from high school. I asked him contacted him on Facebook asked to get lunch he just came back from serving in uh in Afghanistan and I said, "Hey man, I'd love to get lunch with you. Is that cool?" Yeah, man. Totally. We get lunch, we connect and I just said, "Mike, I I want to tell you I'm sorry. I I've been a Christian for years, man, and I I was one in high school and I cl- clearly was not a faithful following Christian. And Jesus has really changed my life even more and I I wish I could do high school all over again because I would tell you, I would tell Clint, I would tell all these guys what was the most important thing in my life then. And I just hit it. And I'm sorry, man, but I want to tell you now that Jesus is awesome. And Jesus saved me from my sins, and He's willing to save you if you repent and believe. And so we go on and on. And He was just like, thanks. I got a new Xbox. I mean, you know, it was awkward, but it was very like, hey, I'm, I'm going to call you to believe. So use that relationship bridge. Use your testimony. Paul does that all the time in the book of Acts. It's totally great. It has a high degree of human interest. It can't be refuted. But like, no, no, you didn't stop drinking all the time. Like, yes, I did. Jesus did that. It's easy to share. You know it. It's your life. It's very personal. People like to hear stories. And Paul does it all the time. Three final things, we're done. How to really improve your evangelism. Number one, you just walk with Jesus. Really walk with Jesus. The more you follow Jesus, the more you will evangelize. That's a part of being a follower of Jesus because we are conforming into the image of Christ. This is where we're all headed. We're being conformed into his image. So an evangelism less Christ-likeness is an oxymoron. There is no Christ-likeness that lacks evangelism. So if we are an evangelistic less people, we are not very Christ-like. This comes with the territory. The territory. And I think you'll experience more of Jesus and the power of the spirit and you'll be even more encouraged by the word when you step out in faith and evangelize. And the more you're in awe of the cross, the more you'll tell others. Your evangelism won't spring until it's sweet to you. It's why I gave out books like Who is Jesus? Why I would encourage you to read books like Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ by John Piper, The Glory of Christ by John Owen. The more you are in awe of Jesus, the easier it is to talk about him. Just walk with Jesus. Secondly, read your Bible. You can't possibly know every scenario and have it scripted out for you. But the more you know the Bible, the easier you'll be able to navigate every scenario. You'll be able to bring up verses because we are—we aren't just ambassadors. I'm sorry, we are ambassadors. We we aren't given—we have to come up with new things to say. You don't have to come up with new ideas and, and new things. You just say the old things in a lovingly, gracious, and winsome way. You have a message from Christ, you just say it. So read your Bible, Read and specifically read Acts a ton. You cannot faithfully read the book of Acts and not walk away with a burden to evangelize and be empowered to do so. Read the Gospels, know Jesus. Thirdly, pray for boldness. In Acts 4, the church prays for boldness and God grants it. In Ephesians 6, towards the end, the whole spiritual warfare section, Paul, while he's in jail, writing the book of Ephesians, he says, and pray for me also that boldness may be granted to me to proclaim the gospel as I ought. So he feels I ought to do this. And he doesn't pray for his freedom. He doesn't pray to have a a nicer time in prison. I heard Tim Keller say recently that all the prayers in the New Testament, none of them are about changing circumstances. It's always about changing the person. Our prayers are always about changing circumstances. The Bible's prayers are concerned with changing people. And so Paul says, pray that I'll be bold. If we're constantly praying, that's constantly on our mind, Lord, make me bold. Let me be bold today. There is no way that as you are praying that, that you'll walk into work a weenie. There's no way. As you keep praying that, the Holy Spirit will override you and you won't be allowed to be a weenie. You keep praying for boldness, it'll be on your mind. Not just once. Okay, I'm gonna pray for boldness once, Lord. Are you gonna do it? Nope, okay. I, but a real, genuine, like, Lord, I'm sick of not being evangelistic. Would you make me bold? You pray it again and again and again. Just remember, you're an ambassador for Christ and he's ready to use you for, your, for his glory. If you're willing to submit to him, he will use you in great ways. And just think about it. All of us are here because someone told the gospel to us. Think about all the people that God has ready for you to now tell the gospel to. And you'll be forever linked to their story. In heaven, you'll get to enjoy that story together, to be used by God and go, God used me in Brett Gill's life. God used me in Francois' life. God used me in Lord. I mean, so you can go through all these things You're like, Lord, I wanna be used by you on behalf of Christ to tell people to be reconciled to God. Let's be evangelistic. Let's pray for boldness, all right? Let me pray for us and we're done. Lord, and as we're praying, don't just listen to me pray. You actually pray too. Lord, would you grant us great boldness, please? Would you raise up from this room radical, bold, wildly evangelistic servants? Lord, would you spark revival in our city with the people in this room? Would you help us to live out our identity as ambassadors for Christ? That we would not wait, we would not hesitate, but that, Lord, we would begin tomorrow to reach out to coworkers, to make those steps, to make those bridges, to look for opportunities, to, to pray for them, to engage them, to love them, and to view ourselves as ambassadors for Christ with you making our, your appeal through us, inviting people to be reconciled to God. Help us, Lord grant us boldness, to proclaim your word as we ought to. And in your awesome and holy, majestic name that we pray. Amen. Guys, thank you. I know we're done. We went over. Um, I'll, I'll post the outline on the city. If you have any questions, um, if you need to leave, you need to roll out, go ahead. No, no pressure. If you do have any questions, feel free. You can ask them now. Maybe someone will benefit from them. Maybe not. Are there any questions? Anything you want me to ask? Uh, I, maybe I didn't get to or didn't get to unpack, or maybe I had to to skip it. So any questions? Yes, Scotty, and then. Um, Is there ever a time when the Spirit would want us not to share the gospel with someone? Is there ever a time when the Spirit would not want us to share the gospel with someone? I would say that that is probably true. And I'm thinking of two instances in the book of Acts. Paul wants to go to one city and to share the gospel with these people, and the Holy Spirit says, no, I want you to go to this city. It happens twice, and I think in the same chapter. So I would say, it, yes, that's, that's possible. Um, I think, I, I just wouldn't know whether I should do it or not. And it may just be like, it wouldn't, I think it is, you should never, it's never that the Holy Spirit's gonna tell you, never share with them. But it could be that, okay, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna keep you know, doing the pre-evangelism, I'm gonna keep doing the bridges, and if it's a relational Evangelism. I don't, I don't need to do it all now. Like, boom, I'm done. But I remember a recent cab ride I had, a lot in cabs that I share cabs and have cab drivers and um, you never see these people again. So bam, I'm doing the whole thing now. And I don't know, I'm gonna call them. They may, they may never believe, they may believe later. Um, who knows? So I would say if it's a like intentional, you're never gonna see this person again, kind of confrontational type, just go for it. Um, I think the only way we might dishonor Christ in, in that manner would be if I'm evangelizing in an unloving way. He could still use it, totally still use it. But I don't think Jesus is gonna be dishonored if we're people the gospel. Um, it's not like we made a mess of things and he's like, well, great, I can't save him now. You know, I mean, he'll, he'll still be able to, to, to work with it. So I, I would be more towards the side. I'm just gonna say it and just I'm gonna to try to do the best I can and he's gonna make a straight line with a crooked stick kind of thing. Other question back? Yes, sir. Uh, Dan DeWitt, uh, the book, one of the books I referenced at the beginning was Dan DeWitt, Jesus or Nothing. D-E-W-I-T-T, Jesus or Nothing. All right. And then what about like um, evangelizing like with your weight? Like something where the person that you feel impressed to talk to maybe the cashier at the grocery store yeah. or the recess Starbucks or whatever, like how does that legitimately look? Yeah, it's going to be very quick especially at the grocery store. One thing that I like about the grocery store, and I've done a lot too, there, is that, so he was asking, I'm, I'm repeating again for the audio. He's asking, what about a barista or evangelizing cashier? One of the great things about is is they're not going anywhere. So you've got a little bit. And if you've got a lot of groceries, then you've got time. And if you make yourself irregular at these places, like when you read in Acts, Paul is like, I was at the synagogue every Saturday, willing to talk to everyone. So you're like, I'm going to that place every time. Like I'm going to the same barber every time. And he's probably sick of me, but I'm going there every time and asking him, are you ready to become a Christian yet? You know, every time. Um, so I, I think you're going to make it a habit kind of thing. And you can be very quick. You're like, hey, just want to let you know, I don't know where you're at, but I just feel compelled to tell you that Jesus is, he's the savior of the world. And if you're willing, I mean, you, you can't, sometimes you can't unpack every nook and crane of the gospel. You can give people a real quick call to believe. And I'll, I'll be back. If you want to know more, I, I'd love to talk to you, but I just want to let you know that God saves sinners. You know, it could be something as quick as that and the Spirit can use it. Maybe someone else would come up and back clean up later. But you never know. <laughs> Next one. Jessica, yeah. How do you respond when, when you ask somebody, hey, what do you think of church? Or hey, what do you think of Jesus? And they're like, well, I go to church sometimes, but I really hate how people just tell me that I'm going to help some sinner. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, how do you respond to people who say, yeah, they go to church, but they don't like some of the things that are said at church? Uh, it makes me think of two things. I would tell them again and be like, hey, that's, I, I totally get how you would not like that, but why don't you like that? So you just kind of, ch- you want to get to really what's underneath that. Why, why don't you like that? And then whatever they say next, if you want to understand, okay, well, why that? And you're eventually going to get to something, some sin, some unbelief, something they're angry about. Um, like I, I, one guy in... Um, to recently, I don't like Christians, yada yada and going back and forth. Well, it's because when I was younger, uh, my parents got divorced, and the pastors were, were jerks to my mom. Okay, well, I'm, I'm sorry that that happened, but Jesus didn't do you wrong. So, yeah, Christians, man, we, we're messed up people, but, but Jesus is perfect. So, you can just bring it back to Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. So, what about Jesus? It's okay, you don't like that church. Okay, fine, whatever. What about Jesus? Do you believe that he died? And, that, and believing in Jesus means you're gonna follow him. So you can't just be, and sometimes we, you evangelize people, they'll say they're Christians, but they're not going to church anywhere, they're not members, they don't read their Bible, they don't pray, they're Christ followers, they don't follow Christ. And you just call them out on it. You, you're, not a, you're not following Christ. If you are a Christ follower, follow Christ. You need to really repent and believe and call them out on it. And that's what I always do. Yes, okay, I saw another one, Austin.
1: Yeah. Um, how do we convey the gospel to those that it seems to keep falling on deaf ears, or they just kind of shake their head, or they, they think that they're already saved, or whatever?
0: Yeah. I just keep going for it. And just keep, you'll find different angles. You'll find different things to say, different verses to share. And I just, just keep sharing it with them lovingly and graciously, and just say, Well, I, I see, I, I, I mean, I keep hearing you that you say you follow Jesus, but are you following him? Like, what in your life is showing that you're following him? Like, I know I'm not perfect. Like, I totally know I'm sinful. But I'm, I'm trying, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to follow Christ. So, how, how are you following him? Because Jesus says, if, you follow, if you're believing in me, you're going to follow me. So, how are you doing it? And I'm not trying to judge you. I just, if, if I'm not walking with Jesus, I want someone to tell me I'm not walking with Jesus. And you're not going to church. You're, you, don't, you don't repent of sin. You don't take the Lord's Supper. Yeah, I mean, so, like, where are you showing your Christian faith? You don't pray. When, unless you want to win the Powerball. I mean, like, like what, like how are you really a Christ follower? And it's awkward and uncomfortable, but I'd rather have that conversation than be at a funeral and go, man, I wish I would have said something, just got over myself, you know? And
1: real quick, likewise, is it the same response for someone that has zero desire to
0: learn? Yeah, so is it the same response for someone who has zero desire? I know people say, well, you got to shake up the dust off your feet. If I'm an apostle, I guess I have the authority to do that. I don't ever feel like I have the sense to do that. I may not bludgeon them all the time. So I'm not advocating for bludgeoning them with the gospel. I think you still maintain the relationship and still care for them and still love them. Um, and don't, don't fall into the distraction. They might be disinterested for a while. That's okay. You keep loving them and you be there for them. Uh, like I think of John 4, that Jesus is with the woman at the well and she wants to, she's not interested in anything Jesus has to say. She wants to have a theological debate. Well, some people worship on that mountain. Some people said, this mountain, what do you think? He says, where's your husband? Like, let's get to the real, let's get to the real matter here. And so don't get caught up in distractions. Let's just keep bringing it back to Jesus. And then, Zach, did you have one? Yeah. Um, How do you typically answer the question, why do you believe? Like, somebody asks you, why do you believe? Yeah. What would you say? So how do you handle the question, why do you believe? There, there are some things that we get asked that when we answer them, they won't make sense to people and they will be insufficient. Like we could give the straight up orthodox answer. I believe because the Holy Spirit made me new and I believe, which we totally get. But for them, you' like, what? That's weird. Like, well, I believe because Christ is risen from the dead. Like that's objective. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think we have to es- escape. Some people are going to be very, like, ethereal, intellectual. And well, that's circular. Like, okay, well, science is circular. Like, you're going to appeal to science. You're going to appeal to science by using science. Yeah. Like, e- everything's going to be circular unless we totally remove ourselves from the situation. <coughs> so, e- eventually, everything's going to be circular. It just depends what circle we're in what circle we're going for. And we believe in Christ, who is the Lord of all. And so, I believe in Jesus because Jesus dies He rises again, and he is true. I I believe in Jesus. I wouldn't like get into whole like, because I was predestined before the foundation of the world to to believe, you know? Um, I would just tell them, I I believe because Jesus is risen from the dead. And I've heard the gospel for myself because I wasn't born a Christian. People aren't born Christians. I heard the gospel, and I heard that Jesus would forgive me. I said, if he'll do that, I'm in. And if I'm wrong, I lived a pretty good life. But if you're wrong, you're not gonna like the end. So it's kind of the Pascal's Wager kind of thing, but augmented a little. That, hey, if I believed in Jesus and it was wrong, okay, I lived a good life. But if you don't believe in Jesus and I'm right, oh man, it's gonna be, I don't want that for you. And one of the things I, when I was evangelist this other guy at the coffee shop, I really told him, I was like, Brad, man, I care about you. And I know I just met you. I know it seems weird. I don't want you to go to hell. Like, I totally believe you're going there. I think you're a nice guy. I don't want that for you. I want you to leave that Buddhism stuff behind and come follow Christ. Leave that eightfold path. Come to the one path, Christ. That's all Him. He said, I'm the way. Buddha's just pointing to ways. And you know how Buddha died, Brad? No. A food poisoning. What kind of religious leader is that? That sounds like bad karma to me, Brad. <laughs> Jesus gave up his life. Jesus laid himself down. Jesus would never have died. Unless he laid his life down. Sin had no claim on him. He would not, wouldn't have died of old age or a, a flu. Or Jesus laid his life down to save us from our sins. And he rose again and he's inviting you to believe. So I mean, just like, you just hit all those things. So I just, I just always try to bring it back to Jesus. Why do I believe? Because of Jesus. Because of who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's inviting you to. That's why I believe. Yes, Chad. So Chad's asking, what about the right, like the exact right opportunity, when to bring it up with someone like, like your folks? Um, I don't think there will, that we'll find humanly like, okay, this is the golden moment. You know, Um, I think we just trust the Lord and we feel compelled by the spirit and just go, you know, I I just got to say this. And it's not like I'm gonna bum rush him kind of thing. But guys, I, I've been wanting to tell you this and I just, I have to, I love you guys. I, I don't want you to go to hell. And what I believe, I gotta tell you this. I totally, I want you to believe in Jesus, who Jesus really is. And so let's look at the Bible. I, I know your background, so where your folks are. Let's, let's look at the Bible. Let's talk about who Jesus really says he is and how that's different. Like one of us is wrong. And if I'm wrong, then you should be totally trying to convince me. So I told some Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons that came to my house recently. I know that we're, we don't agree, so let's not pretend that we agree. You think I'm wrong and I think you're wrong. So let's convince each other, you know, because I'm confident. I'm not worried about what you're, anything you're gonna say to me, but I know you're worried about what I'm gonna say to you because you're gonna blacklist me and not come back. So something's up. Um, so how you speak to your folks, I think is you just graciously, kindly, you just share. You, know, you won't find the golden moment. It won't be at Thanksgiving dinner. Like okay, now this is the time. You know, there won't be that time because as soon as we bring up the cross, it's just going to get awkward, and so just remember, just run headlong into the awkwardness. Just enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Just well, what was the quote? Run headlong into the awkwardness. Yep. Just enjoy it. See what the Spirit will do. Matt, microphone. Yeah, yeah, so man, I was asking, the kinds of people that should not evangelize, I, I think there are, so you see in the book of Acts, you see this, they're evangelizing and they're facing persecution and the apostles run out of town. Like, we're leaving. So it's, sometimes in Christianity we think, oh, it's, it's noble to withstand. It is noble to withstand and not compromise the gospel. It's not noble to just stand there, well, I'm gonna let them kill me then and I'm, I'm not gonna, you know, run away. No, the disciples ran away and our brothers that lost their life and are now with Christ in Libya they were captured. I'm sure if they had the opportunity to escape, they'd be like, I'm out of here. Um, and that's okay to do. So we always evangelize. We don't compromise. Um, you go from Old Testament to New. Daniel, you can throw in the lines in, whatever. And Justin Martyr says, you can kill me, but you can't harm me. You know, what I love about Jesus, that Jesus puts heads back on. Jesus reconstitutes burned bodies into glory. And so to live as Christ, to die is gain. Let's lose it all. Anything, anything else? Okay, well, thank you guys so much for coming. I'll, I'll post the outline. I do, I'll, I'll close uh, with one more prayer and we'll pray for our, our family, our brothers and sisters um, in Libya who are, and these families. Now you have 21 families who are suffering and that the Holy Spirit would be so real to them um, and that we would be encouraged by their testimony. Of these men, as Hebrews says, the world was not worthy of them, of these men. Let's, let's pray. Lord, Would you help us now to not take what we have here as religious liberty lightly, but that we would use to the full extent as you have given it to us? Would you be with our brothers and sisters whose heads were, these men whose heads were chopped off, but yet they are now crowned with glory, reigning with you already as co-heirs of the universe? around your throne, already crying out, as we see in Revelation, when will you avenge our blood, Lord? And soon. Lord, help us to band together and to be people of the cross, as was said of them, and that we would embrace that title for ourselves, that we are people of the cross. Help us, Lord. And it's in your awesome name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Let's be ambassadors and people of the cross. Good night.